Bruno Courage, chief of police for the small French town of Saint-Denis and for much of the Vézère Valley, was taking a late evening patrol around the garden with his basset hound, Balzac, when the phone at his waist vibrated. Although it was nearly time for bed, once the screen showed that it was his friend, Gigi, head of detectives for the département of the Dordogne, Bruno thought he'd better answer. You're still up and about, came the familiar voice. Good, I'll be with you shortly. I want to show you something, for you to tell me how worried I should be. Commissaire Jean-Jacques Jalipeau was a large and bustling bear of a man who had not been distracted from his duty when he was shot while making an arrest. Some called him a cop of the old school, in that he wore ill-fitting suits, smoked a pack of Gauloises a day, seldom polished his shoes, and did not treat the media with the deference they had come to expect. His prisoners did not fall accidentally downstairs while handcuffed, nor were their fingers caught in car doors. Female cops on his team almost never applied for transfers, and he refused to play the usual turf wars with the gendarmes or to sneer at the municipal police. Bruno went indoors to tidy his living room. He put out some glasses for drinks and checked the latest regional news on his phone for any clue to Gigi's unexpected visit. A few minutes later, the headlamps of Gigi's big Peugeot flared and Bruno went to the porch to welcome his friend. Josette, Gigi's driver and aide, reversed into the driveway and stepped nimbly out. Gigi took more time to extricate himself from the passenger seat. He emerged carrying a small evidence bag. Welcome. But it's too late for coffee, said Bruno. Tea? Wine or something stronger? I'll have a glass of your own vin de noix, since it has wine and eau de vie, said Gigi, while Josette asked for mineral water. Once installed in Bruno's living room with their drinks, Gigi tossed the bag towards Bruno. You're the military man with the Croix de Guerre. He began in his usual abrupt way. What can you tell me about that bullet, beyond the fact that it's a 12.7mm caliber and 108mm long, with what looked like Russian letters stamped into the base? Bruno managed to catch the bag without spilling his drink. Surprised not only by the unexpected nature of Gigi's inquiry, but also by his friend's confident expectation that Bruno could answer all questions concerning war, weapons, and the military in general. Then he recalled that it was many years since all young Frenchmen had been required to do at least a year of military service. By going to university and then enrolling in the police, Gigi had been spared that. The tradition launched by the French Revolution for every male citizen to be trained as a soldier and ready to fight for France had gone for good. Bruno knew that modern weaponry and warfare demanded far more than the ability to fire a simple gun, fix a bayonet and throw a grenade. But he sometimes regretted the passing of the principle that every citizen owed a duty to the homeland, and of that egalitarian mood of national integration that bonded young men together in their drills, mess halls and barracks, and he supposed that he was the former soldier that Gigi knew best. 
It's a bullet for a Russian heavy machine gun, often used en masse for anti-aircraft fire. But it also has the power to blast through body armor, vehicles, and buildings, Bruno explained, weighing the bag in his hand. The Russians also pioneered their use in specialist rifles for snipers, and now everybody else has copied them. With one of these, a trained sniper can kill at two kilometers and more. The Americans have developed a similar version in their half-inch caliber, almost the same size. Is that what you were shot with in Bosnia? Gigi asked. No, thank heavens. Bruno replied, surprised at how little Gigi knew about military firearms. A bullet that size would have torn my leg off, and probably half my pelvis. I was hit with a standard round, the usual NATO caliber of 7.62 millimeters, half the length and almost half the caliber. And even that put me in hospital for months. So how has this bullet suddenly turned up? In a stolen car, an old Peugeot that was crashed and abandoned. The bullet had rolled down into the spare wheel housing. It was in a ditch on a small road running parallel to the N21 north of Castillones and close to Isigiac. It had fake number plates. We're trying to identify it now from the VIN. Any other car involved? No, it hit a deer and then went into the ditch, lost the front wheel and killed the deer. No sign of the driver. We think there might have been a passenger. Two different brands of cigarette stubs in the ashtray. Though of course they could be old. A trained sniper wouldn't leave stubs, Bruno said. Was there anything else in the car? No bags, no papers. But one of the cops at the scene is a hunter and says he could smell traces of fresh gun oil on an old blanket. So the owner of the bullet might have had the weapon in the car with him. That's what worries me, Gigi said. Pitain, you tell me this thing can kill it over two kilometers? In the hands of a trained sharpshooter, yes. Bruno had seen armored cars immobilized by a few of those heavy rounds. Almost certainly he'd have to be military trained, and with the right kind of sights. Those guns should be carefully guarded, but I imagine they could be picked up in war zones like Iraq, Afghanistan, Ukraine, and Syria. Anywhere where they used Soviet or Russian weapons. It's entirely possible that such sniper rifles could get out into the illegal arms trade. There would certainly be a market for this kind of weapon. How do you mean? Gigi demanded. Terrorists? Yes, of course. But possibly they could have some criminal value in gangland. Or they could be sold for serious money to passionate big game hunters of elephants and buffalo. And we can't rule out the possibility of assassinations. I think you'd better contact the security guys, and maybe also the military police. 